This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This, 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 this is Equity Mates on tour. Equity Mates goes to Wall Street. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates on Tour in the US. We are pumped to be here and welcome to Equity Mates if you are joining us for the very first time. This is a podcast that follows our journey of investing and whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your personal circumstances. So all information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes only. Any advice is general. With that said, my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? Very good, Bryce. Sitting here in a office in Midtown Manhattan, and I could get used to this. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Really enjoying the US tour. Yes. We've um, just touched down in New York for a week here of interviews with experts, meetings, a bit of party, you name it. Stop three, NYC. Stop three, NYC, We've yes. start, we did it, what, one night in LA, over to Omaha, and uh, now to New York, uh, where we've got a number of interviews lined up, and we've just finished uh, our first New York interview with an investor over here, Luis Sanchez. A real reminder of all the niches that you can run into know, in, in investing. We did about 25 minutes on uh, private jets and how they get internet. Yeah, it's a bit of a theme. We had uh, Warren and Charlie also speak at Omaha for about 15 minutes on their private jet business, NetJets. True. Um, and pretty much spoke about how much money they spend on private jets. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> Which was interesting, but yes, it was a fascinating conversation. Lewis is uh, the founder and managing director of LVS Advisory. He gives a bit of a spiel about how he started that uh, at the beginning of this episode. But before we get into it, Bryce, we do have to say a massive thank you to Milford for sponsoring our US tour and making this all happen. Milford is a leading New Zealand fund manager and they are now available for Australian investors and advisors. That's it. They're flexible active management strategies and high 
high-performing, globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. Milford's team also invest in the same funds as their clients, so you know that they are highly motivated because they're on the same journey with you. So find the Milford funds on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And remember, before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. So a massive thank you to Milford for sponsoring this episode and sponsoring this tour Mm. and getting us to New York City. And just another reminder, before we get into this interview with Luis, anything you hear is general advice only. We're not aware of your personal financial circumstances, your risk tolerance, your time horizon, neither is Luis. So uh, it's not personal financial advice. Um, Do your own research. Uh, before making any investment decision. So, Luis, uh, welcome to Equity Mates. Thank you guys for having me. Now, as is tradition here at Equity Mates, we always like to start with our Biz Nerdle Equity Mates daily company guessing game. And uh, our tour of USA continues, and so does the game. Five clues. It is a US-listed company. Um, and the first clue is... My annual mega conference is called Dreamforce. Barack Obama was a featured speaker there in 2019. Salesforce. He's, he's absolutely it. done he's it. it. <laughs> Game over. You've Game won. over. There you go. <laughs> I think that's the first guest we've had. Who's got it the first time? Who's got it first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well done. Well, well, I'm, I'm glad I didn't embarrass myself. Yeah. <laughs> it does get awkward when you get to like the fourth or the fifth clue yeah, and people yeah. aren't getting it. Where it's like clue number five. My stock ticker is. Yeah. Do you know the stock ticker? CRM. He's absolutely no, done it. He's absolutely done it. <laughs> well, Louise, we're sitting in Midtown Manhattan uh, and uh, we're excited to be in New York. This is our first New York interview. We uh, had a couple in Omaha, but um, this is the Big Apple, the city yes. that never sleeps. Um, so we're pumped. And for the Equity Mates audience who haven't heard of you before or LVS Advisory, uh, we'd love to start with your background. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your career and sort of how you, how you got to founding LVS? Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to New York, guys. Thank you. Um, So my name is Luis Sanchez. I am the founder and managing partner of LVS Advisory. Um, I'm based in New York City, and LVS Advisory is a registered investment advisor that manages separately managed accounts for clients. Um, My journey, my professional journey started in investment banking, and I worked in uh, a few different roles at a few different banks. And the last job I had was at Credit Suisse, which, you know, RIP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was working on, in their, ho- in their hostile M&A and shareholder activism group. And that was a very, that was within their M&A, uh, M&A investment banking division. And that was a really interesting and very impactful experience. And my team was basically involved with helping companies take over other companies, sometimes working with activist investors, sometimes being on the other side of the table from very famous activist investors. And fair to say, we worked on some of the hairiest merger and acquisition transactions. And Can you give really, an example of one? There were a few. I mean, one that, that stands out, one that's kind of interesting is... Um, we were advised by Samsung in, I believe this was 2014, when they were trying to buy another Korean company called CNT Industries. And um, there was an activist investment firm called Elliott 
um, and Elliot tried to stop the transaction. And uh, so part of that deal was we would go, we went, our team went over to Korea to make presentations to all of the relevant institutional shareholders to basically convince them to vote in favor of our deal. And that's just a, a random example. I mean, uh, like another really random example is one, an, an Asian casino company advised us because they wanted to acquire, they wanted to hostily take over another, a, an American-based casino company. And that transaction never came to fruition, but it was something that our team like analyzed. And yeah, so it was a really interesting desk. And fair to say that it only got to our desk if it was really hairy. <laughs> so after my career in investment banking, I went and joined a quantitative fund, and that was a really great experience. But after working in the hostile M&A and shareholder activism, activism space, I was just really fascinated by um, the deal world, um, and I just started tracking um, transactions. And when I was on the buy side, no longer working on the deals, I actually started investing in some of the deals, right? And just in my personal account, it had nothing to do with my, my day job. But um, what I came to realize after a couple of years of doing that was that investing in deals and merger arbitrage and other kinds of event-driven situations can actually be a very fine strategy. Um, and, and, I, and I say that because I was able, I was finding that it's possible to generate double-digit absolute re returns with um, lower volatility in your portfolio, therefore translating to lower risk. And um, I thought that was very attractive. And when I moved on from that role, I set out to see if I could do something else with, with um, that strategy. And that's what eventually became LVS Advisory. So I founded LVS Advisory five years ago. And the, the first thing I launched with was a strategy that was investing in event-driven situations, uh, primarily merger arbitrage, but we, we've done various other things here and there. A year later, I launched a second strategy, which is what I refer to as a global growth strategy. My thesis behind the platform is that I have um, an event-driven strategy, which I refer to as LVS Defensive. And LVS Defensive, the job there, as the name implies, is to protect our capital and to still earn like an attractive, high single-digit, low double-digit, absolute return, and do it consistently. So we've been, we've been fortunate. You know what the environment's been the last five years. We've had COVID. We've had, you know, in 2022, bonds and stocks lost money. But we've been very fortunate in that our event-driven strategy has actually made money every year. That's, that's what that's about. It's about protecting capital. But on the other side of the ledger, it's about protecting capital without having a lot of volatility. But on the other side of the ledger, uh, I basically designed a strategy that was the exact opposite of that, which is, can I actually create, come up with a strategy that actually takes more risk, so greater than market volatility, with the idea that if we take more risk, perhaps we could earn more upside. And just having these two strategies that are very different from each other, um, I, I view that in different parts of the investment cycle, one strategy or the other might be more favorable to allocate to. 
And there's also different investors with different types of preferences, and I have a passion for both event-driven and growth investing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I developed this platform. So before we unpack each of the strategies in a bit of detail and look at what you're investing in, like what what's your in overall investment philosophy that kind of drives both of those? Yeah, so the two philosophies are very different, and I really believe that there's no one best philosophy. Like Everyone's different, and you should find uh, something that resonates with yourself and your personality. So on the event-driven side, the investment philosophy is rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I, I say that half-jokingly, but that's really what it, you know, that's the first slide of our deck. And the way that I think about the event-driven strategy is um, every, every idea that we put into the portfolio, my confidence interval needs to be at least 75% that we're not going to lose money, which is a really, really high, it's a, you know, it's a really, really high hurdle. And then once we get past that, that high hurdle of not losing money, then within what's left, we just try to invest in the highest returning opportunities that are, that are left. And it's as simple as that, but we, what we found, what I found, is that within the event-driven universe, we very often can identify situations where there's a very low probability of risk, and we can just kind of really hone in on a couple of like sub-strategies where we can find interesting returns. Can you give an example of that? Like, what, what's a, an, yeah, if you can provide yeah, an example. Yeah, so um, our bread and butter is merger arbitrage, yeah. right? So, um, and I, I write about these periodically in our letters, although I, I tend to be a little bit more, uh, I have less disclosure on the ideas in the event-driven universe because they tend to be very time-sensitive and less liquid. But my, our bread-and-butter idea is like an all-cash uh, acquisition where, let's say, company A wants to buy company B for... $10 a share and it trade and the stock's trading for $9 a share and you know with my background in M&A I know how to go through read the merger contract um, I have a lot of experience um, kind of interpreting the shareholder dynamics through my sell side experience and I can kind of you know through a very uh, disciplined and repeatable process determine like the likelihood that a deal is going to be successful I'd say like 85% of what we do. But then there are some like random things that come up that just within like this event-driven universe that are maybe more one-off where we have to be a little bit more creative. And I mean, a good example of that is in the last investor letter that I published, our Q1 2023, I wrote about a contingent value right offering where we believe we're, we could make as much as 34 times our money. 34 times. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's a non-listed security. So that's why I wrote about it, because it's no longer available to trade. But it's a CVR. And that's dependent upon clinical trials at a very uh, well-regarded biotech company. Um, and you know, we did our research. We felt that for various reasons, the market misunderstood the risk reward of that security. And we purchased a security for $1, which we think could be worth up to $35 per share. Wow. wow. So I guess uh, if we're talking merger arbitrage, probably the biggest merger, at least the one that first comes to mind uh, for me at the moment, is the Microsoft and Activision Blizzard uh, merger. And it's probably a classic case study in the potential for merger arbitrage, 
uh, I think the the deal was what sixty eight billion dollars, um, and Activision Blizzard. I'm just looked it up. Is trading at fifty nine billion, and the biggest question is a regulatory one. Will they get uh, antitrust uh, and competition law approval around the world to to do this deal? Uh, putting your uh, merger arbitrage hat on, when you look at a deal like this uh, and, and you're trying to analyse it, is there opportunity? Is this a good investment? How would you think about something like that deal? That, that's a good example and I think helpful framework here because we never got involved in that deal simply because the regulatory process on that deal was just too much of a wild card, right? So I think when I, when I looked at it, I probably just thought it was a coin flip. Maybe maybe a 60% chance of going through. And I think at this point, you know, we're here in May 2023, it's easy for me to say that because I think the deal is pretty much dead at this point. Mm. Um, but I think that's a good example, right? When, when we don't have a lot of clarity on the regulatory process, and there's a lot of clues that I've learned to pick up on and that I was trained on on the sell side that helped me think through that. But a lot of, if, if I, I don't disclose our holdings in our merger R portfolio, but I'd be willing to bet that 90% of them are just unfamiliar names because we tend to concentrate in like, you know, smaller and mid cap deals where there really is no regulatory risk. And for one reason or another, Either the market is just not aware of the opportunity or maybe misunderstands a certain condition in a deal or this, that, and the other thing. Um, and we just try to be really opportunistic when that happens. Did you get around the... Well, there was an arbitrage opportunity with Musk and Twitter, wasn't there? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that, yeah. Was, that was another... So there's... What, what's, what's interesting about merger arb, because even within merger, merger arbitrage itself sounds like a very specific strategy, and even within merger arbitrage, there's so many different ways to do it. There's, um, you know, some very reputable investors who just only do, you know, the really kind of swing for the fences opportunities like Activision Blizzard or like uh, Twitter. I'd say our style is to focus more on singles and doubles because my view is our ARB strategy is more of a capital preservation vehicle and we found that we can earn attractive returns without doing anything uh, too risky and if we want to take risk, uh, we have another pool of capital that we, that we take risk with. Mm. Well, let's turn to that other pool of capital. Uh, we've just unpacked what you're looking for in the defensive portfolio. Uh, when you think about the growth portfolio, what makes a good investment uh, in, that, in that strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So the simplest way for me to, to describe it is I call it the growth portfolio. And that may be a slight misnomer in, in the sense that growth can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And you know, what often is traditionally thought of as growth investing is probably not exactly what we do, but what we're, what we're really looking for, and I think very empirically can be deduced, is if you look at the best performing stocks of all time, you can pretty much tie them to having the highest rate of growth and free cash flow per share over time, right? And so at the end of the day, that's really what we're looking for. We're trying to find companies that over a five to 10 year plus time horizon, we believe ha will have the greatest compounding effect in free cash flow per share. I guess our philosophy, we, we, we try to keep things like really simple, but we have like a three pronged 
kind of very simplified framework. And it basically is, number one, like the, the free cash flow per share growth. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's nuanced because it's not revenue growth. It's, oftentimes it is revenue growth, but it has to be revenue growth with really good unit economics. And it has to be revenue growth with good unit economics and also a management team that can allocate capital in a way that can secure the, the free cash flow per share growth and not misallocate capital. And you really need all three. If you don't have revenue growth, it's probably going to be unlikely that you're going to get like long-term free cash flow growth. If you have a, a management team that makes capital allocation mistakes, you might have a lot of dilution and you might have a lot of growth, but it might not accrue to the minority shareholders. So you really kind of need all three. The second prong is um, we look for companies with sustainable competitive advantages. Because at the end of the day, you know, we live in a very competitive world, and if a company is generating very strong revenue and free cash flow growth, if they don't have very solid competitive advantages, it's going to get competed away. And then the last thing we look for is, can we buy a security at an attractive price, right? And that, that's just simple value investing, although I think the way that we look at it is we look at it as a discount to maybe a five to 10 year uh, free cash flow per share target. All right, Luis, well, it's time to take a quick break. But on the other side, let's put those three steps into practice with an example of one of your most recent investments, GoGo. And we want to say a massive thank you to Milford for sponsoring this US tour. If you want to give your portfolio an offensive and defensive strategy, check out Milford's award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilising the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. So for the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol MFOA, you can find it on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And remember, before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that... Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Wall Street 2023. This is Equity Mates on Tour. 
So we're here with Luis Sanchez, founder and managing partner of LVS Advisory. Now, Luis, before the break, we spoke about your investment process. Let's put it into practice with one of your current investments, GoGo. Firstly, for those that are unaware of GoGo, can you tell us what the company does? Absolutely. And I recently shared um, a write-up on my website on GoGo, so that could also be good further reading. But I'll try to summarize it here. So GoGo is the leader in providing internet connectivity to private jets. And if you've heard of GoGo, it may be because they used to provide internet to, to commercial jets, but they divested that business about three years ago to focus on the private jet market because the private jet market is more profitable, it's more of a niche, and um, there still is a lot of growth potential there as well. And the way this works is GoGo op only operates in North America today, and they have a network of, of cell phone towers. And unlike an AT&T or Verizon cell tower that broadcasts down to the ground to your phone, these broadcast straight up into the sky. So they're configured very differently from a normal cell tower. And GoGo, they sell equipment to private jet owners, and then, and then the private jet owners, they buy the equipment and they pay monthly internet subscription fees. So this is a razor, razor blade business. Um, where they make money on both the razor and the razor blade. This isn't this is this isn't like a Comcast, you know, internet subscription though, right? This is like a highly technical and very sophisticated uh, telecom system, which sells for, you know, it, it costs about five hundred thousand dollars to install one of these wow. into a into a private jet, and these on average these private jet owners are paying between $5,000 to $10,000 per month wow. for internet service. Yeah, so it's not Whoa. quite your at and yeah. Better be high speed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a very unique business, right? Um, so maybe I'll go through the, the three-pronged kind of framework. Yeah, yeah please. Um, so starting with growth, right, um, from like a bigger picture perspective, only one-third of private jets today are connected to internet. Wow, that surprises me. You'd Same. think if you're shelling out for a private jet, you'd, yeah. you'd almost expect internet All the movies are obviously well, on, online. you have to think about it. So you have to think about it this way. We've only had iPhones for about 15 years. Mm. And if you could imagine the technology that goes into jets is even more niche and um, there's a lot more regulatory red tape, which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But Jets, um, well, let me, let me come back to the switching costs, but only one-third of private jets today have internet connectivity, and this is a market that really just started about 10 years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. And the average age of a jet is about, you know, 30 years, so it takes time to, to cycle through. But connectivity is expected to hit 100% penetration within the next 10 years or so. Um, according to all of the industry surveys and according to the rate of change. So um, from like a market growth perspective, this, this industry of providing connectivity to private jets is probably going to grow by a multiple of four to five X after you consider the fact that there's about 800 new private jets being sold every year and, you know, the penetration of existing jets. This is just the U.S. market? Just the U.S. market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I already walked you through 
some of the numbers in terms of like GoGo selling equipment for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're charging you know thousands of dollars per month. Um, this is a very profitable business for GoGo. They they earn a forty percent cash flow margin, and with they're already at scale, but they're going to get more scale. And as they get more scale, you know this could they could end up with a greater than fifty percent cash flow margin. So there, there's not only a lot of revenue growth as the industry is growing, but they are securing cash flow growth because this is a very attractive business model. Um, and the management team here owns uh, about a fourth of the company. They're very aligned with minority shareholders. They've they've been involved with the company for many years. They have a, a pretty nice track record, in, in my opinion. And they, I, I guess the way that I would put it, as it com- when it comes to capital allocation, is they just get it, right? I talk to some management teams, and some management teams, they just don't get it. And you know, this management team, they get it. They understand how to protect, and they understand the value of, of the, per, the per share value of equity, and they protect that value and they enhance that value over time. Well, even you saying earlier that they divested their uh, commercial airline business to focus on the private jet business, you could see a lot of management teams seeing the like the dollar si- the revenue dollar signs in the uh, commercial airline business just because of how big that market is. But the fact that they divested that because the private jet business is more profitable, I would assume, like that, that feels like a sensible capital allocation decision there. Absolutely. So that's exactly what I would point to when it comes to speaking to the manager team's track record. So the second prong, competitive advantage, and I think this is relevant to the divestiture of that business, is the commercial airline business is a bit more competitive. There's a couple of other players there. It's a bit of a larger market, so it's a bit more attractive, especially to satellite companies that want to compete there. Whereas in the private jet market, GoGo has 85% market share. Wow. wow. They basically invented the market um, 10 years ago. And so their decision to focus on this market was largely because they, they knew they kind of owned this market and there was enough growth to be had just by focusing on this one smaller market. And actually the private jet market has some similarities with the commercial jet market, but has a lot of differences that are, that are very important. When I think about the um, competitive advantages here, there's, there's a lot, and they come from the fact that GoGo has, um, they already have a nationwide network. They have the only licensed spectrum to provide jet aviation connectivity. They have dozens of, of patents around all this stuff. But the most important thing really is that if you're, if you're a jet owner, the switching costs are, are incredible. Half a million dollars to install something, you're paying thousands of dollars a month. But it's not just about the dollars spent. If you want to actually install a piece of equipment on a, on a private jet, a connectivity equipment, just given the way that the uh, power works and the um, connectivity antennas work, you have to rewire the whole jet. Wow. So, oh, wow. It actually takes three to five weeks for a certified technician to rewire your jet. So you have a lot of downtime, you have a lot of cost, and very few people can do this. And there's actually like a wait list to, to get into these facilities right now. 
there's a there's a bit of a just given, you know, there's supply chain issues everywhere, but this is like another area where there's been some, uh, a lot of backlog for, for this kind of thing. So typically, so because it, it, it is so involved, private jets have like a, a more thorough maintenance period about once every five years. So that's usually the time when these types of heavy installations happen. So once you install one of these, you know, you're probably gonna keep it in there for at least 10 years, right? unless there's something else in the market that's just so much faster or cheaper. And even if it is, it actually costs a lot of money to uninstall a system too. <laughs> so the switching costs here are just incredibly high, maybe some of the highest switching costs I've ever seen in a business. So you mentioned the satellite internet providers in the commercial space, and uh, that was actually something, you know, Bryce and I, when we were flying uh, from Omaha to New York, we were talking about uh, when are we going to get Elon's Starlink uh, satellites just on our phones when we're in the sky. Is there a competitive threat from the satellite providers in this market? Yes, okay. So um, in addition to really high switching costs, they have an incredibly fragmented customer base. So Gogo has 7,000 jets on their network, and that consists of over 5,000 customers. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Most customers are just one multiple jet. Jets. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So who are the customers, right? These are like corporations with like business jets, and they may have like one or two business jets for the management team. And so if you think about a competitor trying to come into this market, there's a bunch of regulatory things they need to overcome. There's really high switching costs they need to overcome. And it's really hard to gain scale because you have to sell this to one jet owner at a time, repeat that you know, hundreds of times before you really even get a profitable business with scale. Okay, And then the final thing I would say about the valuation is that I believe GoGo is actually quite cheap. And the company themselves have come out and said that they've given some projections for where they think cash flow is going to be, my estimate of cash flow is within five years, we, we believe this could be doing more than $400 million of free cash flow. The, the stock today trades for $1.6 billion with an enterprise, there's a little bit of debt, so the enterprise value is about $2 billion. And these kinds of businesses with very high, you know, a subscription model, recurring revenue business with high margins and um, high switching costs. We, we believe these things trade anywhere from 15 to 20 times cash flow. So if we're right about our analysis and they get anywhere near that $400 million of free cash flow within five or six years, you know, back of the envelope, we think this could be like a, a four or five X, mm. right? Now, let me come back to the why now, because there's a reason it's cheap, right? And there's a couple of interesting why nows, like why did we get involved now? So the first thing is that GoGo is launching a 5G service later this year, and the 5G service is going to significantly improve their speeds and connectivity. It's also going to come with about a 25% upsell in revenue per subscription. So that's a nice little revenue catalyst. Um, next year, they're going to launch a low-Earth satellite product, and when they launch the low earth satellite product, that's going to open them up from being able to serve just North America to serving the entire world. Yeah. Okay. North America happens to be most of the market for whatever reason. Um, 
Americans have 80% of the private jet flight hours. So maybe it's, it's a little bit less dramatic than it sounds like going from North America to the rest of the world, but it, it still does expand the TAM over time. Now, as you mentioned, the, the stock has actually come down a lot because people are worried about a competitive threat from Starlink. Yeah. And Elon Musk, um, who owns Starlink, they've announced that they want to enter the uh, business uh, connectivity, the, the jet aviation market for connectivity. And they have a product that is actually available on some regional commercial airlines and they are testing it with private jets. Now, there's a lot of things I could say about this. We've, we've done a lot of research into this, but what I would say is that um, we believe that given the inherent competitive advantages that GoGo has as an incumbent in this market, we believe it's gonna be really, really hard for Starlink to come in and take a meaningful amount of market share. And we're not even sure if they're going to be able to take any market share because they don't have regulatory approval. They don't have a, a product that really, that really fits on private jets yet. So the products that they, that they have uh, proposed really are tailored for commercial airlines. So we believe that the market is kind of misinterpreting the situation as Starlink's gonna come in and kind of take everything when we think that their threat is really a little bit more targeted to commercial, where GoGo isn't really a player today. So I'd love to uh, take a step back from GoGo specifically, but use it as an example and just talk about, um, I guess, the start of your research process. So thousands of listed companies in the US, um, tens of thousands around the world. Uh, I think you said GoGo has a market cap of about one and a half billion at the moment. Right. So it's by no means one of the bigger companies in the US. Uh, how do you uh, go about finding opportunities? And maybe if you use GoGo uh, in particular, wh where did you come across this company? Absolutely. So in our growth portfolio, ideas come from one of like three places. Um, I've been investing for over a decade, so the first place is maybe it's, it's a company I've already looked at before and have some familiarity with. Uh, the second place is um, really the most common, which is uh, I spend a lot of time speaking with other smart people that I respect, and others, whether it's smart investors or I spend a lot of time speaking with people who work in an industry that I think is interesting or the management team of our companies. And when I, when I have these conversations, I try to always leave with like broader perspectives. So if I'm talking to a company uh, that, that, that does something, maybe we're invested in it, maybe we're not, but I'll always ask them about their, what they think of their competitors and which competitors they think are interesting or not interesting. Or I'll, I'll give like um, another example and then I'll go back to GoGo. -Go. We've spent a lot of time investing in the media industry and part of what, what we've done to understand the media industry is we've spoken to film studios. And we will ask the film studios what, who they, what distributors they use. What streaming services do they think are more organized, less organized, would they prefer to work with, oh, yeah, okay. not prefer to work with? What tools do they use so that we can start to build like really full pictures of an entire ecosystem 
And you know, we'll have similar conversations. We'll then talk to someone else in that ecosystem. And if everyone in an ecosystem is telling us, oh yeah, by the way, like these one or two things are like the best, that we'll, we'll take note of that, right? Has there been a standout streaming service? Yes. And, and that would be Netflix. And yeah, okay. we, yeah, we've yeah. written about that. We, we actually started buying Netflix in mid-2022. Um, and it, it's one of our larger holdings now. And we, we quite like it. Um, but on, on the, in the case of GoGo, GoGo actually came to us um, through another investor who, who we've actually co-invested on other ideas in the past with. And... You know, we, they, they pitched it to us because we periodically speak to other folks who are, who are kind of similarly looking for similar things and ask them what they're working on. And they, they told me about it in the summer of 2022. And, you know, what I typically do is if someone, t- if someone gives me a really interesting idea, I don't want to really act on that right away. And I usually probably have like five other things that I'm working on. So I just add it to a watch list. I'll rev- I, I, with GoGo, I added it to my watch list. I reviewed a couple of quarters. And, I, and I, when I went through the quarters, I tried to understand, like, oh, okay, what's going on here? Can I understand this business? Does the management team make sense? Like, do they, are they coherent? Do the things that the person who pitched this to me seem to be somewhat accurate? And after about two quarters of watching of, of GoGo's earnings, I I started to get the sense that okay yes like this company is performing in a way that aligns with what the person who pitched the idea said, and I really like the way the company talks about their business. I like the way they report their financials. I think I can understand this business. So then, late 2022, early 2023 spent about two months just focused on on this one idea. And then we just, you know, we spent two months, we went through all the financial statements, we scheduled calls with a bunch of people who work in this industry, we spoke to competitors, we spoke to customers, um, we tried to understand what the technology was, but, but actually, like, the technology piece is important, but it's not the most important thing, right? The most important thing is are you aligned with the managers? Do they understand the most important things? What is their track record? Do you believe that, I don't know what what the next innovation in satellite technology is gonna be, but my trust is that the managers will be able to figure that out based on what I've seen them already do to navigate the business, right? So that's really where, I try to understand it to a degree that I think I need to understand it but really what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm underwriting the management team and then I'm underwriting the attractiveness of the business, which in this case is really obvious that it's a very good business if they can keep it. For retailing, you, you mentioned some of the sort of tools and techniques you use there to get information, calling the, the company themselves, other investors, customers. Uh, for retail investors and for our audience sort of sitting at home, are there any other resources that we could turn to to use in our investment process? I'm a big fan of, of keeping it as simple as possible, right? So I have access to some tools that only professional investors have access to. Bloomberg Terminal. Exactly. <laughs> but, but you know what? Like, the longer I do this, the less I use those resources. Okay. Because 
um, at the end of the day, those resources are the same resources that all the big money investors are using. And sometimes what I found is keeping it simple, just reading the basic financial statement that's provided by the company, uh, listening to the calls, and then picking up the phone and, and just trying to talk to people that, that, that uh, have deeper insights. Just kind of going one idea at a time. I think it only really takes having one or two good ideas a year um, and slowly building a diversified portfolio to, to, really, to really get there. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I think you can, I, I think all an investor really needs is a computer with access to the statements that are publicly available, maybe a spreadsheet and a phone. It's that easy. <laughs> that easy. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's important to just dwell on what you said there, that you only need one or two good yeah. ideas a year because I think it's so easy to get caught up in just the noise and the speed of the market and the amount of companies that are out there. But if you really just say, it's that whole Warren Buffett punch card investing approach, like mm. one or two ideas in a year is all I need. It just sort of can slow your mind down a little mm. bit. Yeah. Figuring out what that one is, though, that's the hard yeah, thing. Yeah, and then, and then doing two months of research like you did on GoGo. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, look, to be clear, I spend five, six days a week doing this, and I probably only have, like, two good ideas a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, they're really hard. It's really hard to, to find a good idea. Mm, mm. Well, Luis, uh, unfortunately, we uh, have run out of time and come to the end of our interview. Thank you so much, firstly, for taking the time to come and meet us in, what is it, Midtown Manhattan? We're just around the corner from Times Square. Yeah. Go check out the big shiny lights after this. But... Uh, Throughout the year, we run um, the Equity Mates Awards, and one of the awards is uh, Expert of the Year, and it's an opportunity for our community to vote on for some of the the best experts that have come on the show. And by by nature or virtue of you being here today, you are automatically in the running for Expert of the Year. Now, to help our uh, audience understand a little bit more about you for the voting process, if you were to win and receive the beautiful glass trophy that we send you, where would you put it? Oh boy, uh, you know, I have a shelf behind my desk uh, that's visible in my Zoom calls. Epic. I would probably put it back there. Nice, nice. <laughs> no, I, I have light. a bunch of books from, you know, a lot of really nice investment books over there and some art, pictures of my kid. Nice. nice. And I'd probably put it up there. Awesome. <laughs> love that. Love that. Well, as I said, thank you so much. We will include uh, a link to the investor letters that you've been referring to, a link to the show, uh, a link to the website um, in our show notes for those that want to dig a little bit deeper and understand more about GoGo and and, uh, the other investment opportunities uh, at LVS Advisory. But thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, We've really enjoyed it. Great. This was fun. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Louise. And Equity Mates, before we go, we just want to say a final thank you to Milford for sponsoring and powering our trip over to the US. Milford is a leading New Zealand fund manager now available for Australian investors and advisors. Their talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. You can strive for a smoother investing journey with Milford's experienced active management and their award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol MFOA. 
So find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund and other Milford funds on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. But Ren, let's pick it up next week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.